Okay, we'll look at question 21 and then 22. Um, as we come to Christ himself, we started last week in question 20. Uh, having looked at uh, where we are in our state of sin, uh, the question was posed, did God leave us in that estate? And the answer was a resounding no. Uh, he sent a redeemer for his people. And so now the, the next section of the catechism will focus on who is this redeemer? Uh, what is he like? What's his nature? Um, how, how do we worship him? So let me read question 21. You could join me in the answer, and then we'll read question 22, and you could join me in the answer. Who is the redeemer of God's elect? The only redeemer of God's elect is the Lord Jesus Christ, who being the eternal Son of God, became man, and so was and continueth to be God and man in two distinct natures and one person forever. And then question 22 is this, how did Christ, being the Son of God, become man? Christ, the Son of God, became man by taking to himself a true body and a reasonable soul, being conceived by the power of the Holy Ghost in the womb of the Virgin Mary and born of her, yet without sin. Okay. Now, obviously, we could spend weeks and weeks just on question 21 or question 22. These are foundational truths of the Christian faith. Uh, The early church really had to uh, work against growing heresies, growing um, unhealthy, unbiblical ways of thinking of who Jesus was. And, and really, the Holy Spirit's work through the early church brings us, uh, you know, the Westminster divines could have never had these just great uh, summary statements unless they were leaning on the work uh, that, Christ, that Christ, obviously, and the Holy Spirit have done through the history of the whole church. So we're indebted to our brothers and sisters in the past. Tonight is going to be more of a sort of a, a flyby and, and specifically answering the question, uh, when we think of Jesus as being fully uh, God and fully man— especially when we think about salvation, that's not the only thing we think about, but especially when we think about salvation, ask the question, why must our Savior be man? And why must our Savior be God? We'll ask those two questions. And then why God and man in one person? So those are the three questions that we'll look at tonight, Lord willing. Uh, That's rephrased, but that's actually how the larger catechism goes on to ask. It basically asks those same three questions. Why, well, different order, why God, why man, why God and man in one person? To get us thinking about that, we've, we've just spent time celebrating Resurrection Sunday, uh, Easter Sunday. We think about the empty tomb. Uh, we're used to telling people, you know, his body is not in the tomb, right? Praise the Lord. But my question for you is, where is Jesus' body right now? Yeah, seated at the right hand of the Father. Um, so it, it's interesting. We, we tend to think, okay, he, the Word became flesh, fully human, um, and, 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 we, and we go through the whole story up through Passion Week. We know the tomb is empty. We know he's not walking around Jerusalem. <laughs> um, and we know he ascended. But for some reason, there tends to be a disconnect in our brains that he is God and man forever. Uh, he has a glorified body, but is a human body. Uh, and he is seated at the right hand of God the Father. Uh, now, if you're thinking of building a spaceship and going and trying to find uh, where Jesus' body is, I don't recommend it. Uh, there's mystery here uh, that, that we live with. But uh, one day, uh, in the new heavens and the new earth, uh, uh, the spiritual and physical will, will be all uh, one in one place. But uh, that's where Jesus' body is. Um, and so, of course, there's, there's mystery here. When we talk about Jesus as fully God, as fully man, 
Uh, there's mystery here. There's a reason why the early church had to wrestle against uh, heresies. Heresies are usually come about uh, as oversimplified ways uh, that swing one way or the other, his godhood or his manhood. And the early church, looking at Scripture, said Scripture tells us it's both, and we need to uphold what Scripture upholds. So although there's mystery, I think God has revealed to us very clearly, uh, especially when we ask the question about our Savior, right? Uh, We were in a state of sin and misery before Christ. Question 20 said he didn't leave us there. He sent a Redeemer. This was plan A from the beginning. So who is this Redeemer, and why must, number one, why must he be man? Why must he be man? And, of course, we see this in question 21. Uh, He became man, and so was and continueth to be God and man, and two distinct natures in one person. And then question 22 really focuses on uh, the humanity of Christ, right? Uh, You can see there in question 22, uh, he took to himself a true body. It wasn't an illusion. It was a real body, a reasonable soul. He had a soul conceived by the power of the Holy Ghost uh, because he's not a a mere man. He's the son of God, uh, born of her, born of Mary, yet without sin. Uh, So he's like us in every way uh, except sin. So let's ask the question, why must our Savior be man? Uh, why does the Bible go to such pains to make sure we know that Jesus really was a human being? Uh, the word really did become flesh, as we see in John chapter 1, verse 14. Uh, this same word who in John 1, 1 is said to be God and with God. Uh, well, Hebrews 2, 17 um, uh, gets pretty close to a summary answer to that question. It says, Therefore, <clears throat> he had to be made like his brothers in every respect, so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. And, of course, the book of Hebrews is comparing uh, the high priests and, and, and the priesthood in the Old Testament and, and Jesus' superiority to them. He's the fulfillment of everything that it pointed to. And we'll, and we'll look more in the, in the other key verse in the next section. But, therefore, he had to be made like his brothers in every respect— I hear both that he would be a sympathetic high priest. We're so thankful for that. When we pray to Jesus, he knows suffering. He, uh, you know, he he didn't just sort of float through his life as an illusion. He truly uh, cried, wept, sweat, um, felt anxiety, uh, threw himself on the Father. And so uh, Hebrews 2.17 gets to that, but to make propitiation for the sins of his people. Because uh, remember, a key verse that we've been uh, saying through this whole section is 1 Corinthians fifteen twenty two. For as in Adam all die, as in Christ shall all be made alive. Uh, we sinned, we fell in Adam, uh, the, the first Adam, and it's in Christ that we are made alive. Uh, or Romans six twenty three: the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus. Uh, and so when we think about the question of why would the Savior have to be man, it's because man sinned against God. First Adam uh, is the first man, all of us in him, and we spent some time wrestling through that. What does that mean that we incur guilt from Adam's sin? And then either way, even if you're still wrestling with that, we sin, (laughs) and therefore we are sinners before a holy God as human beings. And so what that means is uh, uh, an angel could not have died for the sins of mankind. An angel, even being a more powerful spiritual being, could not have 
sin, uh, died for the sins of the people. Only a human being could do so. And so, uh, and so it's requisite, as the larger catechism says, that the Savior would be a human being. Uh, so that when Jesus on the cross said, it is finished, he meant what he said. Uh, because the payment uh, that was uh, due for sin to humanity, um, for all those that believe in Christ, was placed upon him. And it's interesting, in the early church, you know, today, if you asked, would people be more likely to try to prove that uh, Jesus was really a man, or if they would try, or if it's, we need to spend more time proving that he was really God, you'd probably say the second. I mean, we're trying to convince people, no, 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 he, he really was God. Um, in the early church, in many ways, it, w- it was the opposite. It was going to the scriptures and saying, no, he really was man. Um, it wasn't an illusion. Uh, he wasn't a sort of God in hiding. He was truly God, but truly man. And it's so important for our salvation because that means he paid the price. But, of course, we ask the next question, why must our Savior be God then? Okay, he had to be man because man was the one guilty before God, needing reconciliation to God. Why did our Savior, why must the Savior be God? And question 21, of course, speaks of him being uh, the eternal Son of God. Uh, He was God before uh, he came in the flesh. Hebrews 10.12, I think, gets at it. Uh, But when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God. There's many statements like that in the book of Hebrews, this once-for-all sacrifice of Jesus, uh, that all the sacrifices, animal upon animal in the Old Testament, they were all pointing to this once-for-all sacrifice of Jesus Christ. Uh, so that uh, so that we must say, yes, a, a man had to die uh, for the sins of men, but not just any man could have died uh, for the sins of all people. Uh, even if one of us here, uh, or, or think of it this way, I mean, the, the apostles, most of them, uh, by tradition, did die for their faith. Uh, traditionally uh, speaking, Peter was likely crucified, even, uh, for his faith. Uh, But Peter, even as an apostle, couldn't die for the sins of all of God's people. Uh, Because Peter was a man, but he was a mere man. Of Peter could not be said, as it said of Christ here, but when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God. You know, we often sing, uh, there is is power in the blood, right? And, and, And really, there's value in the blood. Think of Jesus Christ as as fully human, but fully God, infinitely valuable. Remember all those attributes that we talked about early in the catechism apply to Jesus. Um, uh, All-powerful, all-knowing, worthy of all praise. Uh, That's who it was hanging on the cross for us, which is why it's so striking uh, that he cries out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Uh, that he dies for the sins of the people. Uh, but like Hebrew says, and like the, from the lips of Jesus, it, it is finished, and then he ascends to the right hand of the Father. Uh, the, the work is done. Um, after one single sacrifice, only Christ, only this Savior, who is truly man, yes, but truly God, uh, could have died in this way, uh, with, with a ransom that is infinitely valuable for the sins of his people. Uh, and so we say in 2 Corinthians 5.21, For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become 
the righteousness of God. And so we've quickly asked, okay, why does the Savior, why must the Savior be man? Why must the Savior then be God? Why God and man in one person? As question 21 emphasizes for us, question 40 of the catechism, of the larger catechism, asks this exact question. Why was it requisite that the mediator should be God and man in one person? Let me read that just to give you a flavor of how the larger catechism often expands and gives us good things to think about scripturally. It was requisite that the mediator, who is to reconcile God and man, should himself be both God and man, and this in one person, that the proper works of each nature might be accepted of God for us and relied on by us as the works of the whole person. It's interesting. You see what they're arguing. They're emphasizing that aspect that the reconciliation was needed between God and man. And as we know from Scripture, there is one mediator between God and man, the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, but it also focuses on uh, the, on on his person. Um, and I'll, I'll sort of end us on this thought, because often when we dive into this realm, as we should, of, of thinking he's fully God, he's fully man, you know, common questions we have. Okay, so he's he's fully human. He had to learn. He had to learn Aramaic and he had to learn to read his Bible. Um, And so he's fully man. And yet when we see him in the gospels, there's times where he knows the hearts of people in a way, not just like a good teacher. I mean, good teachers, right? They know how to look you in the eye and they know what you're thinking. But it seems that uh, Jesus in his divine nature is able to know things. Um, And so people often have questions like this. So uh, you know, what's happening here is he's switching between the two. No, uh, he is fully God, fully man. The two natures don't mix. They are distinct. There's mystery here, and we lean on the early creeds, otherwise we get in trouble. Um, but one really helpful way that I've found is to, is to focus on the person of Jesus Christ, so the Messiah. And so uh, if you're asking that question, okay, could Jesus as a human know omnisciently what someone was thinking or these are good questions to ask but instead you could say well the christ could so the christ the 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 person jesus christ fully god fully man and as one person uh, he could know the hearts of men Uh, and christ this same christ had to learn language (laughs) and your brain starts to shatter a little bit thinking of these things um, but, but to focus on Christ, the Messiah, uh, just like this morning, the, the beggar crying out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Uh, certainly this man and others had many more questions about Jesus and who is this and, and, and what are all these dynamics. But he, in a very real sense, he knew who Jesus was. He was the son of David. This is the one who um, can heal me and save me. Or Peter speaking for the apostles in Luke 9.20, who do you say that I am? And Peter answers, you are the Christ of God. Certainly we see from the rest of Luke that Peter and the others don't fully get it. They still have questions. They don't understand that he has to die and rise again. And yet they can know you're the Christ of God. They can have a sense of who he is, his person, um, and, and his title, certainly as Messiah, God and man, now and forever. And so when you think of Jesus, and I love that we sang uh, that song uh, last. I was, I was flipping through the hymnal trying to think of a, a good song to focus us on Jesus, and then was it Karis that chose that one? Uh, maybe it was behind, uh, behind me. It was just the perfect song. When, when you think of your Savior, uh, know that he is fully man. He identified with you. Uh, he became human for you except without sin so that he was able to pay the debt 
that you owed, not just all humanity, but that you owed, but that he is also more than a man with blood of infinite worth, and he was able to finish all that the Old Testament pointed to in one sacrifice of his own blood. So let me pray for us. Lord, we thank you for Christ. Uh, We thank you um, for your word that teaches us who he is in a way that expands our minds and our hearts, uh, causes us, uh, just like the apostles writing in their epistles, uh, they can't help but worship as they think about who Christ is in his person, fully God and fully man. Uh, Lord, I pray that we would never tire as a people of of mining the depths, of, of, of thinking deeply, meditating on who Christ is, Uh, and then praising him, worshiping him, following him. Uh, I pray that we would be uh, faithful followers of Christ even this week, uh, that we would love him more and more in the days ahead. Help us to trust him and to throw ourselves upon him. Uh, We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.